This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Your now body is the one you accept after letting go of the socially constructed ideal body. It is the body that you accept and inhabit without judgment, and the body you allow to change as it needs to in order to sustain your life. We are not supposed to have the same body we did at 15 years old, at 23. We are not supposed to have the same body we did at 25 years old, at 42. By nature, our body is designed to change and grow. To accept your body now is to accept yourself no matter what your body looks like. By inviting acceptance into our bodily experience, instead of resistance, we allow nature to run its course. Valeria interviews Lindsay Carney. She is the author of Living Over Dieting, a mid-sized girl's guide to reclaiming your life and accepting your now body. Lindsay is a licensed clinical social worker and diet culture survivor. In her private therapy practice, she combines her personal experience with professional expertise to help women overcome body shame and make peace with food. She has a Bachelor of Science in Social Work from Western Kentucky University, 2009, and a Master of Science in Social Work from University of Louisville, 2011. She hosts a private Facebook group for her local community, called Louisville Anti-Diet Project, where she shares her healing journey, tips, resources, and events related to intuitive eating and health at every size. Meet Lindsay at lindsaycarneylcsw.com. Here's the interview with Lindsay Carney. In your own words, who is Lindsay Carney? I am a creative and a healer at my core. I would say that's who I am. And I'm also a mother and a wife. I'm and a friend. I have a deep passion for just human connection, whether it's in the personal context or the professional context in my work with my clients. Yes, how wonderful. Creative healer in doing this beautiful work of of connection, relationships, right? Mm. There's something about that. It feels to me now more than ever that this is the reason, if there was a reason for us to be here as human beings, that's one of them. Yes. To connect, right, Lindsay, with our own experiences, with our own bodies, mind, content of mind, and then the external world. It's all about connection, isn't it? The way we connect. Yes, absolutely. Very, very much feels that way. It's almost uh, that that message is is screaming to me these days for some Mm -hmm. reason. So one of my open questions to you is about um, 
the idea of health and beauty. So mm. those will be my first questions. You actually asked the, the question in your book, Living Over Dieting, A Mid-Sized Girl's mm. Guide to Reclaiming Your Life and Accepting Your Now Body. You say that chapter five, under honoring your now body, it's not disregarding your health. So you asked that question, what does it mean mm -hmm. to be healthy? So that's my question to you. And how do you define beauty as of today? Yes. So to be healthy, I think, involves the mind, the body and the spiritual self to be, you know, a lot of times health is defined as being free of injury or free of illness. Um, and then in our culture, at times it's defined as having a certain look you know, a certain body type, size, shape, but health is really more in my eyes, more of an internal way of being and, and also involves the mind quite a bit. I think, you know, I'm a mental health professional, so I definitely emphasize that as well. And then beauty, I love the concept of beauty. And to me, you know, the old kind of saying that beauty is from the inside, I think is so, so true. It is, I find beauty in people that truly embody everything that they are um, and how they allow that to be expressed in various ways, you know, in ways that are authentic to them. I find that more beautiful than, than anything that we can actually visually see and witness. Wow. Yes, uh, beautifully said, <laughs> um, <laughs> which it is an idea, a concept, right? Yeah, well, be I love that, Lindsay. You actually brought everything together, uh, connected everything to the inner world, how from that place mm -hmm. we can experience beauty, which has very much from my perspective, from my perspective too, has to do with love, with creativity, mm -hmm. with healing, of course, spirituality. Mm -hmm. And you did mention that too. So what do you think happened with the human race? What happened to us? Why, why have we forgotten that? Mm. That beauty is not just something that's from the outside, physical. It comes sure. from a different place. How did we arrive here? That is such a good question. I guess, it, it, you know, it may depend on how far back we trace that. But when I think about, um, and I'm not a historian, so I will not probably nail these terms or these sort of periods of time, but I just think about like ancient periods of time, at least from our perspective in the present day, it appears that in ancient times, maybe the human race was more, was less concerned with um, appearances and materials. And, and I guess there's a chance that maybe that's not as true as I believe, but um, I do think as, you know, the more society advances and um, especially with technology and even with like consumerism, I think, you know, the more attached we become to those ideas of health and those ideas of beauty and love and acceptance mm -hmm. rather than recognize it. I think it's truly an internal sense and an internal experience. Right. It really feels that way, though. Not that, that we um, have evolved to ignore, right? Not appreciate the physical body or any th what is physical, because there is, there is 
beauty to be appreciated. I love nature and I don't see humans apart from nature. We are nature as well. So the different shapes and the different colors of hair and eyes is just so beautiful, everything to me. Mm. There's diversity. But it's it seems like something, yes, yeah, something did happen. I wonder if, you, if that also has to do with religion, you know, the idea, right? Maybe they got mm. in the way as well and people started separating, distancing themselves from the body in the sense of judging it. And then, mm. and then created these opposites. And then some people just rejected that, th- those ideas. And then it went the other way, actually, sure. quite the opposite. That's what it seems to me. There's a lot of a polarity, a lot of yeah, separation and everything bad. You actually mentioned mm-hmm. that in the book too. Beautifully, you made a comment about that, that I, I wrote here about broccoli doesn't make you, you good. <laughs> so I was laughing at that. It's kind right. of funny, but you, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. No amount of kale can make you good. No amount yes. of French fries can make you bad. <laughs> yeah. That was cute. True. That's not original thought either. That is something I really <laughs> stumbled upon on social media and just, it just really, I connected with it immediately. Yeah. You see there's, um, yeah, trying to separate Everything from something that is oh it, it's you it's a it's whole we can't separate what is mm-hmm. whole but it's I guess right. because our minds right does that it really helps that you a mental professional <laughs> the therapist so talk <laughs> to me about that actually what inspired you to become a therapist Lindsay oh my um, I had an interesting journey to where I am today actually I mentioned at the beginning that I am a creative meaning that I am an artist in many ways. And um, I come from a family that, like my nuclear family, it wasn't as like hard pressed on us to pursue college. So, and I really struggled with traditional education. I did fine, but I just, I wasn't like, I wasn't performing, like highly performing academically. And I kind of walked around with this idea that college wasn't for me and that I wouldn't go. And, And then I don't know, I had a change of heart senior year of high school, actually, like at the last possible second to decide to go to college. And um, and I did start out pursuing an art um, major. And I quickly learned that I did not want to do art as a career path, as a, as a way of supporting myself. I, because I quickly became burned out on it um, and just decided at that moment that I didn't yeah, I wanted to reserve art as something that I could enjoy and do in my own time when I felt inspired instead of doing it kind of, you know, I guess to have a life. So there was a a period of time in my college life where I did really didn't know the direction I wanted to go or what I wanted to study. I didn't feel particularly called to any of the sort of traditional paths of like, you know, medicine or business or anything. So I was in an on-campus job at the university I was attending and it was in the the school for, I think it was the human services department. And I, one day was, I think someone just suggested to me that I should take one of those like career assessments that you can find online. And I did that. And it said I should be in the like helping profession, like in social work. Um, and at the time, I had no idea what social work was. I just 
Yeah, I didn't know really much about it. And I just kind of took a chance on it and it ended up being like just a perfect fit for me. Um, and yet, even at that point in my life, I would not have sat here and told you that I was going to be a therapist. That was probably the last thing on my mind at that point. Um, and so my path, you know, my path just kind of brought me into the field of social work. I found myself working at a um, residential treatment facility for um, adolescent girls who were in foster care. And I stayed there for a while. Um, and after I graduated with my master's, um, I was asked to do more. I was asked to be a therapist, essentially. Um, and I was really hesitant. I didn't think I was cut out for it. I think I don't think I understood what a therapist was even or what, you know, what the role of a therapist is. And and I just I didn't see that for myself. But I, again, took a chance on it and ended up really loving it. Um, and then after my 10 years in that organization, I um, started my own private practice so that I could be my own boss and see people that I want to see. And and so that's honestly how I ended up here. I mean, I can kind of trace back to my childhood and adolescence of always being someone that enjoyed listening to people and helping, people, even if it was just like, you know, a friend of mine going through a breakup or something, you know, and I always found myself in positions where people needed support and I enjoyed supporting them. Mm, wow. So yeah, in a way found you, right? The path. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that too, that the most amazing experiences that I have had, I never planned to have them. They just mm-hmm. happened or they came yeah. to be. Uh-huh. So whatever it's meant to be, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. No matter what it happens, it's incredible. So I guess this is a good time to talk about the reason why you wrote the book. And mm-hmm. so living over dieting. The first question would be this one has to be this one. I would love to hear about your own healing story as a diet culture survivor. Oh, yes. I have been a lover of food my entire life. <laughs> um, I don't know, just the taste, the the physical act of eating. And it was always a comfort for me as well, um, especially as I grew up and realized kind of my own socially anxious tendencies. I would find a lot of comfort and assurance if I at least had like a plate of food I could snack on while I was mingling with whoever, wherever. (laughs) And particularly with sweets, I had a very anything sweet or dessert like or pastry like um, I had a particular hard time with restraint when it came to those types of foods. And I talk about it in my book that I, for a long time, just sort of used it as a, as a, a point to invite humor into conversations or, you know, make people laugh. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I felt like I had a real problem with food. I felt I was maybe a food addict, which at this point in my personal and professional life, I don't necessarily believe that food can be an addiction, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there's many schools of thought around that. Um, yeah. and, and I can respect those, but at the time, that's what I thought I was dealing with that or a binge eating disorder. And I was, yeah, looking for some help, some answers. 
around that and for someone to just come in and fix me, basically. <laughs> and it was through that that wondering and that seeking and that pursuit of relief that I found a whole movement around kind of rejecting the idea that weight loss is the ultimate goal. And I just began kind of learning and applying a lot of the like intuitive eating principles and concepts of every size. And ever since then, I've been a huge um, advocate for that as a way for women to free themselves from this sort of vicious cycle of dieting. Wow. That's such an interesting topic. And then it came to me just yesterday, I think I interviewed somebody about dieting as well, that who, oh. somebody was against dieting. But then uh, a month ago, I interviewed somebody who was, is actually doing the opposite. He's advocating yes. for weight loss and showing the pictures, you know, before mm-hmm. and after and all that. He did talk a lot about addiction, that even when I talked to him mm-hmm. about uh, eating pasta every, my husband and I, we make uh, seafood pasta every Friday. Then uh-huh. he stopped me when he said, ah, that's an addiction. <laughs> and I was I was laughing because oh, it doesn't feel like an addiction. I was trying to, um, not to trying to create an argument or anything, because I usually don't do that. And I just kind of, uh, I laughed sure. because it didn't feel true to me what he said. An addiction, it didn't feel true. Sure. So instead of coming defensive or anything like that, I kind of laugh and I was trying to mm-hmm. understand more, going deeper into it. So I asked a lot of questions. But it seems to me why people keep trying to change their bodies because they don't understand the, the fundamental truth that you speak of in the book, that the body changes, every change, everything changes. That's the nat- natural progress of, of anything that's material, right? that's nature-based. It will change. The problem is that we tend not to accept change really well. And we resist, right, Lindsay? We fight, we fight change. Or even differences, which is interesting. The, this thing about comparing, it's another mm-hmm. problem, isn't it? To look at other someone else's body and, and compare with ours. Right. It's something that happens a lot with women, I guess, too. Sadly, probably with men, too. I actually see I see that this happening. So for me, everything goes back to spirituality in a sense of knowing your own truth, that we are not just the body and mind, just going deeper into what we are, not even who we are. And, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that in the book as well. I want to ask you more questions about that. But before that, I want to mention some of the messages in your book that caught my attention. You say, to accept your, your now body is to accept yourself no matter what your body looks like. That's just very profound. I actually have this as the title of the for this episode. Oh, it had to be it. I'm amazing. like, oh, yeah, I was like, my God, this is it. To accept your now body is to accept yourself. And yeah. that's true. So talk to me about yeah, self-love, self-acceptance. Why is it such a challenge for most of us to dive in, to just dance with mm. that? Sure. Honestly, I think one of the real simple reasons why it's so hard for us is because we we inhabit our body, we inhabit our being, and we are forced to be with it every day. And I think that we grow tired of ourselves. I think that's kind of the one of the main reasons. And I do think there's a lot of messaging in our culture and our society about if you don't like something, change it. Well, if I don't, so then you apply that to yourself and 
if I don't like myself, I should change myself or, and for a lot of people that, that will look like, you know, not liking their body means they work to change it and they put the work in. I never thought it that way. I'm, I'm sure I heard mm-hmm. something like that, but I, you just kind of brought this to my attention about mm. trying to change something in a sense of fixing, right? Trying to correct. Mm. I, yeah. I love the idea of change, though. Of course, I embrace change. But in a healthy way, to me, it looks like creativity. So mm. being creative and then creative and also healthy in a sense of doing something that perhaps I was afraid of, afraid mm. to do. So it's a challenge in that sense. It becomes fun that way, more playful. Like I have been in the fitness industry for a long time. I was never overweight. And... Mm-hmm. I got myself into this dieting thing because it was training to compete as a fitness competitor and all that. And then I remember becoming obsessed with food because I was starving the body yeah. for so long, three months. Mm. And then I was eating everything and I, and I felt something was not, not that it was wrong. It was just out of balance. Mm. I notice now more than ever that doesn't feel, say, There's no harmony, in the sense of peace even, when I'm constantly thinking about something, almost obsessed about something. So that doesn't feel, it it could be anything, actually anything, trying to Mm. solve a problem, you know, to be here, to be with you, like an interview, if I'm obsessing, like for three, five days. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do that when I interview (laughs) scientists, because it's very different from my perspective, more spiritual. And then when I have scientists here, it's, oh, and then I have, then the mind becomes almost like fearful or somehow trying to prepare, over-prepare and all that. Mm-hmm. So when I see some obsession there, so the mind becomes obsessed with that. And then there's a sense of peace and happiness disappears. And then just in this constant fight, fighting something. So I guess it happens with what you're saying with the change when it becomes an obsession though. And then it's not, then obviously it's not healthy. But right. it, other than that, it's, it would be a, a wonderful thing, I Lindsay, to just change, but but for the sake of being creative, of trying mm. something new. Oh, let me see what that looks like. <laughs> if I work out for a whole month and I do push-ups, let me see what what would happen. But with joy, right. with enjoyment, though, it has yes. right it has to be there that piece. So I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, talk to me about that. This idea of enjoying, you know, challenges when it comes to change. If you want to change something, not in, in the sense of correcting. But it's just, you know, don't, doing something I've never done before. I, I actually love those things. And, and being strong, too, because strength is also something that is important when it comes to mental strength. In a sense of resilience, we need, it's, it's important to become resilient, too, which the body helps when we train the body. Yes, I definitely agree. I love the way you framed change as a creative process. You're teaching me something. <laughs> oh my, no, I think we are just kind of exchange. I never talked about yeah. this before. Isn't it? We, you're inspiring oh. me to say these things. It's just because it's something that, I, that I've been learning recently, perhaps. And then it's just, it it's, has been my experience. I'm very, well, my, I come from a spiritual background. I had a lot of childhood abuse, severely traumatized as a child, and then not knowing what, how to behave and what to do, making actually bad choices all the time because I couldn't trust myself. Instead of therapy, I I look for answers in the spiritual, let's say, world, but not in the sense of going to religion. And I I remember I did that, but it's most philosophy, uh, Zen Buddhism. Mm. I did Tibetan Buddhism. And now I 
for 10 years, I'm a student of Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, which is non-duality. It's just a beautiful philosophy on the interconnectedness of everything. Right. So it's all about connection when it comes to Vedanta. So that's what it really, my heart just opened when I, I heard about the philosophy. Like, wow, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So, but talk to me about your, do you have any spiritual understandings of yourself in life beyond the body mind? Yes, is the short answer. Yeah. <laughs> I have always appreciated and deeply connected with my spiritual self and what I believe now to be God. Mm. And that has looked very different in different phases of my life. And I noticed that the hardship that I was faced with at certain periods would always sort of buck up against those beliefs and that sense of there's something bigger than me. Mm, yeah. And has always led me to, at times, it would, it would lead me to questioning and doubting and, and wanting to almost kind of shut down that part of myself. Um, and other times it would, you know, send me in a direction of seeking and hoping and, and um, praying. Um, and so I would say, like, I am still somewhat on that journey and really trying to discern for myself what what I believe to be true. And right now in this present time, it is, I believe in a triune God. God is spirit and God is God and God is um, at one at one time was man as Jesus Christ. And I'm just trying to press in and learn more about that. Wow. Yeah. I love how genuine you are. <laughs> it's really beautiful. You said that before, actually, the spiritual self. You said it that way and you just repeated mm -hmm. the, exactly the same phrase. What does it feel like, Lindsay, when you are in touch with that? Could you, are you able to describe? Words are hard. Yes. Right. Describe that, yeah. I feel like. I'm sure you can relate to that. I think it's, it's a, a sense of wholeness and a sense of... Mm -hmm feeling sort of anchored and rooted in something, but also at the same time an openness and a and a joy and a peace. That's how I would describe it in, <laughs> our, yes. in our language today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful though. Yeah, I very much relate to, to it. It resonates with me. You see the sense of wholeness, wholeness, for some reason that word, it's, it's something about that. I was involved in a lot of practices, meditation, so I went as deep mm. as I could to find out my own truth. And then and then in the end, if this was the end, it's that my truth is actually everyone's truth, but takes that personal journey to be able to meet that truth and embrace that truth. Because right. it cannot be passed on like that. It can, I cannot tell you the truth because it doesn't work. So, but I found that, I mean, now it, I would summarize in some, something that uh, has been very empowering for, for me yeah. as a body-mind. It's that I am what I'm looking for. There's nothing missing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is really, in period, really. It's just 
That's it. So yeah. everything else becomes like this journey of exploration, mm-hmm. of curiosity. <laughs> It's, mm-hmm. It becomes fun and playful then, because right. when you come from that place, as you, you call it wholeness, that's exactly it. Like mm-hmm. I'm whole. This is it. Mm-hmm. I am what I'm looking for. Yeah. And that, that changed that. everything for me, that understanding. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that, I mean, I should ask you, what does it sound like when you hear that? And how many of us can understand, really embody that? I know it's the, doesn't, it seems abstract, right? But it's very real to me. Very abstract, yes. And I'm so glad you brought that, that word into the conversation because that's something that I recently connected with was just the abstractness of the way that I think and the way that mm. I function and just the type of life I cultivate um, is very abstract and uh-huh. and the way I communicate uh-huh. as well is very abstract. Um, mm. But it's I, real to you, isn't it? It feels oh, real absolutely. to you, right, Lindsay? That's what matters, right? Yes, uh-huh. and you're right. There, There does seem to be sort of places where that is almost as if like to see and think and communicate in those terms for some people is um, difficult. And yeah, I, I do see that a lot. Yes, right. Uh, and I'm wondering if, the, if most of us actually are trying to communicate that, come mm. from that place, you know, I am enough. I am what I'm looking for. Everything is here. But then because we don't, we get confused with all the other messages, right? That we are not enough. There's always something to do or something, you know, to be worth it. We have to do this and that and that. And then there's a lot of confusion and doubt, actually. You know, in my case, it was confusion, doubt and all that all together. Right. So, and I'm, right. wonder, I'm wondering if that happens to most people, especially women. Yeah. That, that might be the case, right? Doubting mm-hmm. themselves. Let me go back to the idea of the book. I mean, the message, choosing living, choosing living over dieting. So the title <laughs> of the book is Living Over Dieting. What does it look like as of today, Nancy, this, this message, you know, embodying this message? What would that look like on a daily basis? It looks like spending my, my energy, my mental energy, my physical energy, my emotional energy, on all things that are in the now and the present moment and in the people that I love and being able to be present in my experiences, fully, fully engaged, fully present and not concerning myself with my body in the way that I used to. You see, without, yeah, without that concern, that, that's mm-hmm. really wonderful. Is that most of the people that you see, your clients, are they in need of help in this area? Or do you see people with different kinds of issues? Ooh, I see quite a few people for this specific issue. And then multiple, many of those individuals also have other issues as well, such as trauma or anxiety And then I also do see individuals that don't have, you know, issues with their food relationship or their relationship with their body. Um, and I recently, I'm very excited about this. I recently um, got trained in EMDR, which is um, yeah. I'm 
systematization and reprocessing. Yes. And I've been integrating that into some of my work with my clients, and it's been mm. a beautiful process. Right. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, EMDR. I have, of course, interviewed a lot of people. I noticed. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Have you heard about Brains Party, too? Yes, I have. Yes. I just interviewed somebody recently about that. And it's oh, quite a bit similar. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not the same. The way right. she described it was a lot more holistic, um, a lot more open, mm-hmm. too. It's almost like the therapist doesn't assume to know anything. It's very curious, open, and just kind of, it's this co-creation that navigating the, the challenge together, but open to what can come up, what could come up without assuming to know the answers. So that kind of caught my attention. It, she said that that was the main difference between EMDR and brain spotting. Right. Brain spotting is more, in a way, more she didn't say spiritual, she said holistic, but I saw that I interpreted it as spiritual. Like, oh my God, that's sure. a spiritual thing. <laughs> that's, yeah. It's scientific, but it's spiritual in my eyes. That's so interesting. Ah, so let's see. I want to go through some of the messages in your book that caught my attention. You said under the, um, I think it's the chapter one, fighting a war against our bodies. How did mm-hmm. we get here? I actually asked that question before. And then you said, human beings have an innate desire for belonging and purpose. For women, we inherit the culture belief that belonging and purpose are found only when we are attractive, which is first measured by our weight. Mm. So that caught my attention. In a sad way, it makes you reflect about mm-hmm. the way we are living and we have been living. That's not really, it's not really helping. And, I'm, right. and I always wonder what will, you know, come up next in a sense of uh, what would change this in a massive way. Uh, And I know I thank you again for your work as a therapist, because we do need that. People that can guide others to see the truth for themselves. But I I do think that's why I keep bringing, I guess, spirituality. Oh, everyone that I talk here, they're most scientists of the mind, people like yourself, Mm -hmm. therapists, also spiritual teachers, but not as many. And then I bring this the piece of spirituality, because has mm-hmm. been my path that helped me with the um, complex trauma, PTSD. And mm-hmm. really, it changed everything by going deeper. Of course, I did a lot of healing work, energy healing. Mm-hmm. It was different. I, for some reason, therapy was not my path. And I, I always wonder why, but it, it was not an option, I guess. So it was mm. easier to go spiritual. But it's beautiful to see the combination too, Lindsay, I noticed. Some people who do both, and all ther- therapists who bring spirituality into their practices. Mm-hmm. Spirituality in a sense of knowing oneself. Basically, this is the work you do anyway, right? The, the exploration of who yes. we are, what we are. Exactly. You just made me reflect. The more I read about these things, like, oh, I didn't know this, I didn't know that. You know, the way humans have been behaving, especially women, of course, intuitively I did, I did, but not with so much clarity because you're very clear about these things. You also wrote, resisting and fighting against our now body distracts us from connecting with our whole self. That also was a beautiful message that resonated true to me. 
And then I love in the end of each chapter, you write a letter, dear reader, and then you write, yeah. you know, you talk to them. You even changed to handwriting kind of font. That also caught my attention. There's one that you say, dear reader, your body image is going to fluctuate, but your worth doesn't. Consider inviting compassion and kindness into your relationship with your body. You said more than that, but this part here caught my attention. Then you said something else. Gosh, just so many things, too many things you said that caught my attention. Too many. You said you're not responsible for the you're not responsible for the cultural programming you received about the ideal body. So that was a message too. And then when I read that, what came to me was Yes, we are not responsible for what happened to us, like all this stuff that I was thinking about my childhood and all that. Yes. But yes. I only matured and I only became, let's say, sufficiently healed by mm. being responsible for what I was not responsible for. That's when yeah. that also changed everything. That really did. I know because I kept saying that to myself, I'm not responsible, you know, for what they did. But then I was not accepting, you know, the responsibility for what I was not responsible for. So I was not helping. It was accepting that that changed everything too. Uh It opened the mind, I guess, I would say. Yes. Would you like to make a comment, Lindsay, about the passage? About the passage? Yeah, on acceptance and... The concept of acceptance, I... I think it's really foundational to a lot of the work that I do. I love, there's a quote and I don't remember who <laughs> said right. it, but, and it says something along the lines of our pain that we associate with our struggles is not, it's not the pain that we need to fix or get rid of or avoid. It's our attachment to the pain, essentially. Mm, mm. Um, and yeah. so ra- like invite radical acceptance. Mm. Um, yes. yes. And so, yeah, I think yeah. that pairs really well with what you said about yeah. accepting responsibility for what you aren't responsible for and just accepting mm. that, that that's what that was. It was not your responsibility. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I love that too, what you said. The, mm-hmm. There's about being attached to pain, right? That was mm-hmm. definitely the brain's decision. I don't even say my decision, yeah. but the brain was doing that automatically, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what I think, as as you know, trauma changed the brain. So now yeah. we are seeing reality, right? Perceiving the world completely different from those lens of trauma. And then I actually found, interviewed somebody who asked a very interesting question in, in his book. He talks about control, like, are we in control as we are being traumatized? Or how much, you know, how much control do we really have on the the experience of trauma? And then the other question was, and then how are we in control when we are responding and living, experiencing life from trauma too? So Mm -hmm. in a way he's saying that, because I think in his case, he saw his mother being killed by his father. So he was, that was a really, it was huge trauma for him, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of, he was lost for a while, just making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. He became violent, actually. Sure. So, and then why do some people become violent? They become abusers, actually. They, mm-hmm. they reflect the, the violence that was inflicted on them and them. And then some people don't. They actually yeah. become the opposite in a way, right, mm-hmm. Lindsay? They become beautiful people, compassionate people. Do you have an answer for that somehow? (laughs) I was going to say I do, but that also sounds very, I don't know, 
very assured, I think. And what I believe the answer to be may not fit every situation. But what I do mm, know yeah. is that healing happens in relationships. Ah. And when we experience trauma at any degree, we need, especially ch like children and childhood trauma, they need a secure and attentive adult or caregiver to enter in to that space with them and help them co-regulate, help them heal, help them sort of recover from that. And so I've seen that to be the biggest difference, like children or adolescents or even individual adults who go through something traumatic, if they don't have a safe person, if they don't have a, a person who they trust and can co-regulate with, if they don't have that, that's when, you know, the risk of becoming the abuser or you know, going on to self-destructive habits is more likely. Whereas those that have a supportive other, as I mentioned, are much more likely to develop that resilience and be able to, in a sense, recover and be better individuals in the future. Mm. Right. It's, it's the interesting thing is that it's almost like in, in order to heal from relational, relational trauma, we need to go back to it. We got to go back to relationships, right? It's like, it's the antidote. It's almost like, oh, somebody said beautifully that I can't remember the way she said about the, the same environment that have traumatized us needs to be, is the one that will heal us as well. The same. Yeah. It, isn't it interesting? It has been my case for sure. Yeah through relationships, finding that trust again. And it hasn't been easy. It's interesting to see that the trauma mm. still lives on. So we're almost at the end. Gosh, Lindsay, and I have so many other questions. I want to make, um, yeah, thank you so much again for your presence in this conversation. It has been wonderful. And I want to mention the exercise too that caught my attention in your book. I think mm. chapter four, connecting the dots between adversity and health. Mm. Then you have the grounding in the present moment exercise. So I love that. I guess I made a note here because I heard recently that trauma is the inability to be in the present moment. Wow. So that yes. was one of the ways to describe trauma. That, I never heard it that way before. Mm -hmm. That, that right. really made sense to me. Yeah. And then honoring your now body, it's not disregarding your health. You also talked, said something beautiful. Uh, that letter that you write, dear reader, you say... Give your body permission to be. I mean, you said mm. more than that, but that really kind of opened the heart. <laughs> Give yeah. your body permission to be, right? Uh, because the body's so intelligent anyway. Okay. I mean, it's keeping us alive regardless, right? It's yes. doing its thing. <laughs> right. It's so intelligent. And then I love, 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 love the section about intuitive eating, inviting mm. intuitive eating. So there you talk about that, the diet, diet mentality. You talk about the anti-diet mentality. And then you talk about the diet culture portrays. And then the hunger Oh, yeah. You talk about the different kinds of hunger, but yeah. I never heard it that way before either. Physical hunger, emotional hunger, practical hunger, and taste hunger. I wish we had more time to go through all this. And then you talk about the principles of intuitive eating, uh, how many of them, I wrote them down, 10 of them. 
oh my God, this would be like another podcast conversation in itself. <laughs> Intuitive eating itself is just so yes. interesting, that topic. Yeah, t- talk to me for a moment about that in a nutshell per se, what is intuitive eating? You know, the short version that I will give people in the beginning when I'm introducing the topic is intuitive eating is exactly how we ate when we were mm. um, infants. Yes. Yes. We, <laughs> had, we yeah. had a cue for hunger and we would cry out for food and that need would be met and we would be satisfied. We would be full. And then Two hours, three hours, four hours later, depending on each individual baby, there would be hunger again. And it wasn't anything we had to ignore or suppress or trick our minds out of feeling or our bodies out of feeling. And um, that's kind of my little introductory metaphor, I guess, for what intuitive eating is. Sounds natural, doesn't it? It's just living naturally, Absolutely. listening to your body. Another thing I think you mentioned about, you know, trying to keep the stomach in. A lot of people oh. do that. And you see babies, they just have these beautiful round stomachs and they're so, they're the happiest <laughs> creatures on earth. <laughs> it's yeah. like the cutest thing ever. They're so happy because <laughs> it's almost like they don't have a body. <laughs> they don't, they exactly. right? They're just like... In this state of joy, of uh, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful, and you wish, yeah, for humans to be more like that, to come to that understanding. One of these, go, really return to it, right, Lindsay? It's a return to what yes. where we were before, right? It's not really uncovering. It's not really discovering, but uncovering, going back right. to it. So I love mm-hmm. the the. There's a, the chapter in your book ten. I think it's the last one. Reclaiming your life. There you. You quoted Ecrato. I have read, of course, his work. He says, uh, you find peace not by rearranging, rearranging the circumstances of your life, but by realizing who you are at the deepest level. Yeah, that's very spiritual. Um, because as we talked earlier, my finding that spiritual self, what is what is here now has been here, that it doesn't really require even the body-mind for me to be, to exist and to be present and to be, to have that sense of peace and joy. So it, it, it's really going deep. And then to me, it's not even, I don't know, I say that where I use the word deep too, but there, there's something about, it's always here actually. It's not as deep as we think it is or hidden really, yeah. right? Yeah. It's always here. Mm-hmm. So, Lindsay, thank you so much again for your presence. And before we say goodbye, would you like to add anything? Would you like to say anything that you left unsaid or read a passage in your book? Um, I can't think of anything else I would like to add. I did mark a couple spots in the book, and I think one of them you might have already um, highlighted here for us. So... I will just briefly, I have a brief one that I will read. It's one of the dear readers that I love. Dear reader, your body is a part of you. Your body has nothing to do with the essence of who you are. You are more than a constellation of muscle, fat, and organs. You are a whole person. To be whole is to embody everything that is authentically you in the body you have right now. The way your body moves, looks, folds, creases, or fits is the least interesting thing about you. Don't let your dissatisfaction with your body rule your life. 
Wow, that's a beautiful one. Gosh, I missed that one <laughs> somehow. <laughs> ah, that's a beautiful one. Wow, very profound. Thank you so much again, Lindsay, for being you, for being open to life, for being vulnerable, for being genuine. Thank you. Thank you I so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Wow. Before we say goodbye, where's the best place to find more information about you and your book? Oh, yeah, probably... My Instagram is probably the most up-to-date. It's at Living Over Dieting. Um, I do have a website, and it's lindsaycarneylcsw.com. And then, of course, I'm on Facebook as well. It's just Lindsay Carney. Mm, yes. So I have here, I have, let me just make sure I have the website link. Yes, I do have the website link and I'll have the Instagram handle there as well. Thank you so much again, Lindsay, and we'll talk soon. Take good Thank care you. of your beautiful self. Okay. Thank you. Thank Bye you for too. now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lindsay Carney and her work, please visit lindsaycarneylcsw.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.